Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. And we are now in lesson 42. Last time we finished with uh, chapter 11 of Isaiah, uh, showing the end result of the repentance that God is going to bring to his own people, the people he had never rejected. And the story at that point is in essence complete, even though the circle is complete, the closure has arrived. So the people of Israel that have been chosen from the beginning of the time, from the days that God was beginning his plan through uh, Father Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob, and the twelve tribes, and the nation that he married in Israel, and the purpose that he gave them. And of course, they have been derailed many times by sin, iniquity, and transgression, and their own rebellious heart, and yet, God had a plan for them, and he was not about to give up. Whatever he starts, he's going to finish, and in chapter 11, we in essence see uh, at least a major phase of it coming to an end because we still have to deal with all those who ever lived among the children of Israel and they have not fulfilled their purpose and they are going to be brought back to life a thousand years later after the first resurrection and they too will be a witness as they were meant to be from the beginning for all the rest of the nations who themselves are going to be resurrected also. So we see a grand plan there that is generally uh, not understood, not comprehended by so-called established Christianity, and oftentimes we don't think too much about it, but the whole plan, because we have swallowed that, that line that has been sold 2,000 years ago, that there are two identities, you know, there is a church of Israel that got forsaken and rejected and all that, and now there, there is the church, and we are it. And God is doing his work now through us. And forget about Israel. Well, God makes it very plain through his word for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand what is really his intentions for Israel and who and what is his church, his true church, the one he had never, never rejected. And so we finish with chapter 11. I'm going to backtrack uh, a little bit here to uh, chapter 6. We will read something very interesting because that's going to, uh, this is in essence begins a new phase for the people of God where God worked with them an awful long time by now and they showed, generally speaking, a consistent line of behavior where they were not interested, generally speaking, to, uh, to walk with God and do the work for which they've been commissioned to do the work of the firstborn, because they are the firstborn, and so on a temporary basis, God was going to put them on the shelf, so to speak. Still work with them, still be with them to a degree, still even go down into captivity with them, because they're still his people, and bless them to a degree, and as you can uh, read, and we read that before that, and we all know about it, all the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in terms of the physical things and many other things like that that he was going to fulfill. And Jacob told them this is what's going to happen in the last day. Moses told them about the same things. And we are witnesses of that, that Israel has been blessed abundantly in the past many centuries and especially in the last uh, couple of centuries. And uh, this century we've seen an awful lot of blessings in, among the children of Israel. Speaking about all the tribes of Israel, not just uh, one tribe or two. And so, obviously, God never forsaken them. But here in Isaiah chapter 6, 
uh, we are reading something very interesting that we should be aware of because that's a, another sign, another uh, indication of the identity of the Church of God from God's point of view. Not only uh, in time of uh, punishment or uh, captivity or rebellion, but also in times of redemption. And so we read in chapter 6 of, of Isaiah, in the year, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Eternal sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, and he's describing what he saw, and all the angels that were with him. And they were saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And then uh, the posts were shaken. Well, anyway, uh, Isaiah is describing an encounter with the God of Israel, with the, with the master, with the husband of Israel, with the eternal. The one that became later on Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh and dealt with his own people. Well, this is what this uh, God of Israel is saying to his people through the prophet Isaiah, and to all of us, and to all those who have an ear to hear, to the people of Judah and to the people of Israel. And mind you, He's speaking uh, in specific here and giving an emphasis, as I said in verse 1 of chapter 1, uh, on the house of Judah and in his, on, uh, on Jerusalem, but also by analogy all the rest of the nation too. That is all the twelve tribes. And, and so, uh, we, uh, we read in verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. And the reason why he said that, because as soon as Isaiah saw God and the holy angels, verse 5, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. In other words, I am unholy, I am clean, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. In other words, where people of sin and uh, iniquity and transgression and, and to see God that that's, uh, was awesome for him and uh, he felt very very embarrassed by the iniquity of the nation in which he lived and his own iniquity likewise and so he says for my eyes have seen the king the eternal of hosts he saw him and uh, that's the reason why God says, okay, I'm going to forgive your sins and iniquity because obviously he's the prophet of God, he's repentant, he's not like the others who were rebellious. So God is going to purify him, to make him holy, to sanctify him for a commission uh, to his people Israel. And as it is, for the, the first few chapters, he's already been speaking to him, but now he appeared to him in person. And so that was uh, something very specific. And this is what God is coming down to earth to speak to Isaiah about. In verse 8, uh, also I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Now mind you, Isaiah was already being sent by God, and was already preaching to Israel, as we read in the first few chapters. But now there is a, something very personal, not only for his generation, but for all the generations to come until the end of time, who are going to read this very word, and it's still a living message. And for that matter... It's going to be also for the for those who are dead and will be resurrected. They too are going to hear that, and that's applicable to them too. So the fulfillment has different stages here. And so, now Isaiah said, Then I said, last uh, part of verse 8, 
here I am, send me. Before that, he was afraid to be, to be a part of it. And now he's willing to do it. And so, this is the commission. And that is very important for us to understand that because it is this very prophecy among others that the counterfeit church and those who followed in her footsteps and those to this day who believe in that lie that God had rejected his people, this very commission they never understood. Had they understood it, they would have never come up with that lie. And so, in uh, verse 9, God says, and he said, Go and tell these people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of these people dull and their ears heavy, and shut their ears, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. You see, these are the very words later on when this person, the God of Israel, the eternal, that Isaiah saw, when he came in the flesh, he quoted uh, these very words to his own people at the time. Of course, he was quoting Isaiah. But he is the one that told Isaiah to say those things. And in essence, what he's telling him, we're going to put Israel now on the shelf, so to speak. I gave them this opportunity all this time to be the firstborn, to proclaim the light of the truth to the nations, to be an example to them, to reveal to them God and who God is, and all those things that are involved with it, and yet they constantly have rejected it. So I'm going to put them on the shelf. And this is, in essence, what began to, to happen more and more around that time. In other words, Israel began to lose even the great understanding that they had at that time. And as time proceeded and went forward, there was less and less knowledge and understanding and wisdom of the truth, of the light, of the word of God. And people did not recognize it. Because blind people don't know they're blind. But yet, this is exactly what was happening. So, this was happening to the people of Judah. This was happening to the children of Israel. But here specifically about the people that remain with God. At least remain in terms of the land and the knowledge of who they are. And kept the Sabbath and holidays and all that. They began to lose their wisdom and understanding. Gradually, more and more and more. And that's when, it be, when they began, in essence... Um, uh, like other things also to forget the knowledge that they had a God that dealt with them and that God was a messenger of another God who was sending him to deal with them so even that knowledge began to be lost gradually and yet that's not the end of the story so many people look at that and say, well, you see, this all people are blind, and they're deaf, they're not willing to hear and all that. And that means God rejected them, but we are willing to hear and listen, so God chose us, so now we are the Israel of God. And many lies were being forged around uh, this teaching and others. That is a misunderstanding of this teaching. And so Isaiah is wondering, in verse 11, Then I said, Lord, or eternal, how long? In other words, how long this state of mind is going to be on Israel? As the Apostle Paul John would, would mention, speaking about it, he said that blindness fell in part on Israel. In other words, they did not go into total blindness. But God imposed on them a certain amount of blindness and darkness. 
so you will not have to, to uh, hold them accountable for their sins and iniquities. And that's what Paul is saying. He concluded them in unbelief. So he's the one that is saying to us, yeah, you go do it. In other words, God himself is going to, to withhold understanding from them and knowledge and comprehension. And then you go to uh, chapter 29 of Isaiah, you read that uh, God said that the wisdom of their wise perished. In other words, they were not as wise as they used to be, did not understand as they did. They read, but they don't fully comprehend, and so they invent their own understanding. And they hear, and they don't comprehend, and they invent their own understanding. And they see all kinds of scriptures, and they read this and that, and they don't fully understand it, and they invent their own understanding. And that's exactly what has been happening in the Jewish community since that time. And as far as Israel is concerned, when they began to read the Bible later on, again, at least uh, on, a, on a greater scale, especially in the last several centuries, you know, the Protestant Revolution, where Israel was able to begin to read the Bible for themselves on a personal basis, especially in the last two uh, centuries or this century, well, they too, they read an awful lot of scriptures and they send a little bit here and there and they are totally confused. Because that's exactly what God is telling Isaiah. This is what he's going to do with the children of Israel. Even though he came in person and gave them an awful lot of light and understanding and comprehension, but uh, those who followed and, uh, and obeyed and, uh, and uh, were willing to uh, be brought to repentance, well, they remained in the light because they continued to walk with the light. But the, the majority did not. And that went also for the children of Israel. As the apostles went to them, preached the gospel to them, the truth, and many of them repented and came back to God and retained the light. But as time went by, they too began to forget that. And as it is, the majority of the nation of Israel, speaking about the tribes, they did not necessarily uh, listen to the apostles. So they remained in darkness. So in essence, you find the twelve tribes in the same boat, so to speak, in this condition of blindness. There is partly blindness, not total blindness. And uh, so Isaiah wants, wants to know how long this condition is going to be. Now, he never doubted in his mind that God was rejecting his people because that was not even an issue. He just wanted to know how long that period would be of blindness. And God replies, verse 11, Until the cities are laid waste, and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate, and the eternal has removed men far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, yet, you see, that's not the end of the story, so he's speaking about captivity that came upon Judah, and captivity that came upon Israel, northern kingdom where Syria took them away. And then he's speaking about future captivities, and he's speaking about the ultimate one yet to come. So he's carrying into a period of 2,800 years from that time for Israel and for Judah, uh, at least for the majority of them, because some of uh, the people of Judah and some among them were Israelites also, the, the northern kingdom, the, uh, they came back to the land. And so he says in verse 13, but yet a tenth shall be, that is, will be in it. In other words, I'm not going to make a total end. And will return and be for consuming as a turban tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down. In other words, 
They're going to be brought back. And so the holy seed shall be its stamp. And that's the way God regarded his people. The holy seed. Always were, always are, always will be. Not because of their own holiness, but because God sanctified them and chosen them in spite of their iniquity and rebellion and he made them a holy people even while they were rebellious in the wilderness the holiness that they have has nothing to do with their uh, personal behavior necessarily but by the fact that God being holy he sanctified them to himself to be his people his firstborn the light of the nations and so God said he's going to bring them back so even the spirit of darkness and blindness and confusion that's not the end of a nation. So God made it always very plain from the beginning until the end. He never ever rejected his people. He blinds them. He punishes them. He holds them in unbelief. He puts dark, you know, part, uh, blindness on their eyes so they don't see and understand. So when he speaks to them, they don't comprehend. But that's a part of his plan. That's a part of his plan because of the rebellious heart. So he holds them in unbelief. But nevertheless, throughout all this period of 2,800 years, the individuals among them who are humble, who are meek, who are repentant, who are willing to listen, they will remain. So the Holy Seed is always there. And those who are in the light will always be there. Not many, few, little flock. As he called his people when he came in the flesh, little flock. I was talking about the house of Israel. And then the few that he uh, uh, gradually here and there grafted from other nations. But his people is his people and his church is his church. There has never been another one. You see, this was a, the, the major uh, misunderstanding, misinformation. Because no knowledge, no background, and besides, you know, the, the deception that was going on, and the power of Satan that was there, and demons, and seducing, seducing spirits, and the reincarnation of the, of, the, of the false church, the counterfeit church from Babylon, that now took on new names, Christianity, and changed the terminology of the law of God, and changed everything that it can, or that it could, and still does. And that's why they believe in this, uh, this, you know, they had to come up with these two concepts. That was a part of it, to justify themselves, to justify their illegitimacy. They had to justify it by saying, well, uh, there is a replacement theology and a dispensationalist uh, theology. In other words, uh, God rejected his people Israel, he chose us. He rejected his church, he chose us. He rejected his law and he gave us new law, the law of grace. He rejected his Sabbath, gave us Sunday, and so forth and so forth. You see? And he rejected his covenants, and then he gave us a new covenant. And so they deceived the whole world. And many of God's people are deceived to this very day by this very lie. And that's why God tells all of us, come out of Babylon. He's not going to tell us, come out of Babylon if we're out of it. Because he sees it very plainly, how we've been affected. So much, as somebody used to say, constantly, too much Protestantism has been rubbed off on you. And those who heard him should remember that. And I don't think that many realize what he's talking about. 
And so it's important for us, as we read the good news, the light, the knowledge, the understanding that comes directly from God, as Paul said, the gospel has been preached unto them as well as unto us. And it's the good news. Even though they heard about the bad news, they also heard about the good news at the same time. So they knew. It's not the end. You know, especially the righteous among them that did care, that were interested, that did know, that did follow God. They knew that's not the end of the story. So that's why all of them were always waiting for the, for the salvation of Israel, including the apostles. When they ask him, the last question that was on their mind in book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, Lord, eternal, the God of Israel, the husband of Israel, will you restore the kingdom to Israel now? You see what I mean? They knew that God never rejected his people. And they knew what the church was all about. But the liars and the grievous wolves and the deceivers, and those who are being deceived, that rose from the midst of the church, so to speak, which was basically the church of Israel anyway. And then the grafted ones, which were the minority, people think they were the majority, when they became the majority, they were no longer the church of God. They are the ones that told this lie unto this very day. As you can read in the book of Revelation, very plainly, the whole world is being deceived. And all the nations of the earth, and all the peoples of the earth, speaking about those that followed this great whore, and harlots, and all the offshoots that came from her, he says they're all drunk with the wine of her fornications. And drunk people, they don't know their right from their left. They can't see clearly. And so it's important to see it from God's point of view. Let's go now to uh, chapter 8, and verses 16 and 17, where we read, in verses 16 and 17, bind up the testimony. Remember, we're talking about the testimony, what it means, and the, the testimony that was in the, in the Ark of the Testimony, that was the covenant of God, the truth of God, the laws of God, the, the, uh, the truth that God gave his people, that they were to testify of him, of being the great God of the heavens and the earth, so they are his people, that he has a plan of salvation, and the law and the truth and all that. So it says, bind up the testimony. From that came, came the, the word Ada, which means Ada, uh, which means the body of uh, witnesses. Same word, testimony, Edut. Ada is what became later on in modern language, church. And so it says, bind up the testimony. Seal the Torah, the law, among my disciples the people who are the disciples of Jesus Christ and the disciples of God, the God of Israel, they do bind and seal the Torah in their hearts and in their minds. They don't reject it. But the counterfeit church did. And those who developed that attitude and that, that uh, uh, nursed on that spirit, to this day they have a resentment against the Torah, against the law of God. But he said, you bind up the testimony. You bind it in yourself. Seal the Torah among my disciples. And that's why you read in Revelation about the people of God who have the testimony of Jesus Christ, the God of Israel, and keep the commandments. Not reject the commandments. And say, that's not for me. I'm interested in grace. 
No, they are the ones that still bind the testimony because they have it in them and they seal the law among, among my disciples. You know, he says, and I, and Isaiah says, I will wait on the eternal who hide his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him because he knew it was only a temporary condition. In verse 18 he says, Here am I, the prophet says that, and the children whom the Eternal given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel. That is for all of Israel, all the tribes, for the next 28 generations and beyond it to the second resurrection. And so he said, We are the signs and wonders in Israel from the Eternal of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And always will. And Zion is his people and his city. And that symbolically is the church. Zion, heaven and Jerusalem. That's symbolically the church, the people of God. That's why it's called the bride. Holy Jerusalem. That's why God says this is the bride. The bride of the Lamb. You see, people that don't have a background don't understand what they're reading. And they begin to invent their own knowledge. And so... We continue to read now in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 to 7. Chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Uh, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, speaking about his nation, the people of Israel, as when at first he lightly esteemed, because God was going to still continue to be with his people, and we're going to see how, at least a part of it. Uh, The land of Zebulun, still in verse 1, and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in the Galilee of the Gentiles, or Galilee of the nations, because many of the nations, uh, Greeks and Egyptians and other nations lived in the, in the upper Galilee, so they called it the Galilee of the nations, of the Gentiles. Uh, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness, the people of Israel, specifically Judah, and Benjamin, and uh, Levi, and some other sprinkling of the tribes of Israel will live there. Like we read about the prophetess uh, Anna from the tribe of Asher. Uh, you can be sure that she wasn't the only one from the tribe of Asher. There were others. And so uh, there were many others. You know, sprinkling, not many. The majority were uh, from the house of Judah, the, the tribe of Judah, and then there were Benjamites and Levites. And so it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. So even though God concluded them in, in, uh, in blindness, still, still continued to deal with them. He even came in person, in the flesh, and lived in their midst. Verse 3, You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. You have broken the yoke of his burden, speaking about his people, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. That means in the day when he delivered him, in the days of uh, Gideon. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. In other words, God is going to still bring deliverance to his own people. And... When he came in the flesh, he brought them light, brought knowledge and understanding, brought them salvation, brought them the potential for salvation for those who were willing to listen, and an open door for them. But still, the majority were still being concluded in unbelief, in blindness, and that's the way God did it. 
He did not choose to call every one of them. He, yes, in essence, called many because he spread the word everywhere. Everybody heard it, but only a few of them were chosen. That's on verse 6. Isaiah is saying, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. You see, unto us. Isaiah is an Israelite. His people are Israel. So he says, unto us. Could have said unto everyone, unto the whole world. God inspired it to say, unto us a child is given, unto us a son is given. But as a child is born. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty El, Mighty God. The Everlasting Father. Why is he called the Everlasting Father? Simple. He is our Creator. He created every single one of us. And the spirit in man that is in every single one of us came from him. Then after that, the Father, the one that sent him, is going to beget us also, as he did with some sprinklings uh, before that, and then uh, more of them during uh, the coming of Christ, and after that, and then ultimately at the end, when he's going to pour his spirit upon all flesh and beget all human beings, uh, who are written in the book of life, and then after that, in the second resurrection, all those who ever lived. And then... So in that sense, we have two fathers, one that gave us a spirit in man, and then, uh, then put his spirit in us, that is once we were called, because now we have both the spirit of the Father and the spirit of Christ, because both of them are living in us. So that's, that's the reason why you, you read uh, one of the titles of Christ is the everlasting Father. Some people are confused by that. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. You see, it's still Israel. It's a message to Israel. It's not a message to the nations. It's first and foremost a message to Israel, who is the firstborn of God, who are to be the light of the nations, and bring all nations of the earth to the same knowledge and truth and understanding, so that we can become the children of that marriage, the renewed marriage, with a new covenant now, between God and the house of Israel and the house of Judah. You see, they never were rejected. I would just conclude it in unbelief, in you know, a period of darkness. That is, most of them, but not all of them. And so, the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the eternal of hosts will perform it, speaking not but the Father. And so, verse 8, the Lord sent a word against Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. All the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria. You see, in other words, God is still dealing with his own people, and he's going to reveal that to his own people. Yes, he's going to punish his own people, as it says to the Jew first, wrath and fury, and so forth, to, you know, upon them, to the Jew first, and then to the, to the nation, that is the Gentiles, and also salvation, and glory and honor to the Jew first, to Israel first. In other words, that's what he means by that. Uh, he's putting emphasis on Judah because only Judah is around as a nation. So that speaks about the whole nation. And, the, and they will always be first. Nobody else is going to be first. Nobody else is going to become the firstborn. Nobody else is going to replace Israel. There is no replacement theology. That people will say, we don't believe in replacement theology. And then they turn around and teach just that. God put down Israel and picked up the church. That's all replacement theology is all about. 
you know, we have to uh, examine ourselves what we are saying. And uh, God made it very plain. There's no reason to be deceived. If people uh, have open eyes, now if we don't have open eyes, well, God help us. So we read in, uh, let's go now to uh, chapter 12, continue the story. In chapter 12, we're going to begin to read from uh, verse 1. And in that day you will say, speaking about Israel, O Eternal, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, in that day, speaking about the end time. In other words, Israel always knew the story from the beginning until the end. You know? They knew it. They knew where they came from. They knew who they are. And they knew where they were going. And they, were, they knew why they were where they were. Because of uh, their own iniquity and sin. And they also knew the end of the road. That's why they always knew about the salvation to come. And especially the faithful among them, the righteous among them. They were always the core of them. They always knew that. They never had a doubt in their mind that God ever rejected them. They knew that God never did. And in other nations, they wanted to convince them, yes, God rejected you. You are no longer his people. But God made it very plain. And those who read the book, the word of God, they are not blind. Those who walk in the light of God, they are not blind. But the ones who forget about all the things and begin to hear to the fabrication of the human heart and listen to it they become superstitious and begin to believe all kind of lies that's why God is warning us as he came in the flesh and spoke to us he said that this false church is going to come out with signs and wonders and miracles that if it was possible even the very elect will be deceived but they are not going to be deceived because they are the very elect because as long as they put on the armor of God the whole armor of God and they read the word of God and they have the testimony of Jesus Christ, his truth, his law, his prophecy. As it said, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. And we're reading that now. Where God tells you the story from the beginning until the end. God never rejected his people. And God is going to rule over his people. And he was born to that end to rule over the house of Jacob forever. As we shall get to that in the book of Luke. These people are not going to be deceived. And so these people are saying, uh, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Eternal, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. People talk about salvation. A lot about salvation. Have you been saved and all that? They don't even know what it means. But Israel does. Israel that is no longer just physical Israel, but also spiritual Israel. In other words, Israel with the spirit. That's what spiritual Israel means, Israel of God. He's not talking about somebody else. Speaking about the people of Israel now becoming the Israel of God. By having the Holy Spirit and obeying the law of God. By returning to God, by repenting, by turning away. So the blindness will be uh, over with them. They are the Israel of God, and then they will feel that God is grafting among them, the wild olive uh, branches. This is the Israel of God that Paul is talking about. But those people have no background, don't know what Paul is all about, all the apostles, don't know what's on their mind, don't know what they know, don't know their background, they totally misunderstand every statement that they make. And God commands us to grow in grace and in knowledge and in understanding of the eternal, of the Lord Jesus. 
This is the understanding of Jesus Christ. And people have no knowledge of that. As they should. Even the people should know better. And so he said, verse 3, Israel is speaking. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water. Speaking by the Holy Spirit, from the wells of salvation. Verse 4, and in that day, in that day, you will say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's what hallelujah means. Praise the Lord. Praise the eternal. Oh, hallelujah actually means praise God, because Yah is the name of God, deity. Praise Yah. Call upon His name. What's His name? Yehovah. That's a command. Call upon His name. Don't change the name. Is it done in the Jewish community? Call upon His name. Yehovah. That's His name. Declare His deeds among the peoples. That's the purpose of Israel. And they're going to do it. Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing to the Eternal. For He has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. As it says later on, the day will come when the whole earth shall be full of the knowledge of God. How? Israel is going to fulfill their purpose. That's how. God is going to make them do it. And they're going to do it, as you read here, with good intention, good heart, with rejoicing, no more with rebellion. And it says, verse 6, Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, speaking by the children of Israel, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. In the midst of Israel, which he had never rejected. And immediately after that, in chapter 13, he goes to the false church, Babylon. The burden against Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw. And he's talking about the destruction of the counterfeit church. So God is describing the whole story from the beginning until the end. And those who have eyes to see can see it. Those who have ears to hear can hear it. Those who have a heart to understand can understand it, but the rest are blinded. And there is no reason for us to be blinded. Just because we've been taught lies. We can come out of it, come out of Babylon. If we could not come out of Babylon, God wouldn't ask us to come out of Babylon. We would just realize we are not capable of doing it. But he knows we are capable of doing it. Because the Spirit is in us. So, any one of us who has the Spirit of Christ, let him acknowledge the teachings of Christ, which we are reading right now. We all know that the God of Israel is the one that became Jesus Christ. We shouldn't have a problem with that. Let's go to chapter 14 and verse 1. Where we read... For the Eternal will have mercy on Jacob and will still choose Israel. Where is the replacement theology? Where is the statement God put down Israel and picked up the church? These are the words of lies. For the Eternal will have mercy on Jacob and will still choose Israel and settle them in their own land. Now, get something else. The strangers will be joined with them, and they will cling to the house of Jacob. These are the sprinklings, the olive branches, the wild olive branches that God is grafting, and has been from the beginning of time, from the days of Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham, but he allowed also his household, all those people that he brought with him from Babylon, from Haran, to be circumcised, to be become part, you know, partakers of the covenant. You see? 
Paul the general will say, well, is he only the God of the Jews? Or is he only the God of Israel? Or is he only the God of Abraham? No, he's the God of the whole earth. You know, he's also the God of the nations. So God always made it that plain. And yet his covenant walk with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants. And through them he wants the whole earth. After all, Genesis 1.26 is, let us make man. Not a Jew, not Israel, but man. Anybody who is a man. That's including a woman. Because that's a generic term, man. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So the intent was always, anybody that was created in the image and likeness of God was to become a part of the family of God. But that was a process that God chose. He chose Abraham, not Noah, not Abel, not anybody else. He chose Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and their descendants. Nobody else. And through them, he's going to bring everybody else into that great family that is going to be born. But they're going to be considered the children in that in that uh, configuration. And so, God is making it very plain. This is Jesus Christ speaking to you for those who believe in Jesus Christ. The God of Israel, the one that came in the flesh, the messenger of the Lord of hosts, the angel of the Lord, the rock of Israel. For the Eternal will have mercy on Jacob and will still choose Israel and settle them in their own land. The strangers will be joined with them and they will cling to the house of Jacob and to the Torah of Jacob and to the statutes and judgments and precepts and ordinances and testimonies of Jacob because all the things were the inheritance of Jacob. And that's the way God meant for it to be. And it doesn't mean that Jacob is superior. All it meant is, that's the way God made it. So the glory and the honor goes to God, not to man. Verse 2. Then people will take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel, speaking about all the nations, are going to bring back the captivity of Israel. And the house of Israel will possess them for servants and maids. The ones that take, took them captive, the enemies, are going to become the slaves. In the land of the eternal. That's the name of the land of Israel. It's not Palestine, as some even among the people of God love to call it, to this very moment. Every time they think about the land because of the envy that is in the heart of Ephraim and Joseph against Judah, they cannot bring themselves to call it the land of Israel, the biblical name. And that's the reason why they call it by that name. As long as it's going to live throughout the whole land, they cannot call it Judah. Judah will be only one territory, but if you live in the Galilee, you cannot call it Judah. So they had to call it the land of Israel. And that was inspired by God. Just like it was inspired by God to tell the Jonas, we should read it. And I think we already went through it in discussing the concept of Israel. When God told uh, Joseph to come back from Egypt, he said, go to the land of Israel. And to the land of Israel he came. He didn't say go to Palestine. And go to Judah or go to the Galilee. He said, go to the land of Israel. And that's the name of it. And people don't like it because people, you know, have an animosity against God and they don't realize it. And so it says, they're going to possess their captors in the land of the Lord, the land of the God of Israel. And they will not take them captive whose captives, that is, and they will take them captive whose captives they were. And rule over their oppressors. And many of them are the ones that say, we are the Israel of God. 
And they're going to rise against the people of God and smite them and punish them because that would be uh, the result of their uh, wickedness and sin and, and transgressions. And God is going to bring it among them, uh, upon them, that is, his own people. But then he's going to turn around and cause his people to take captives those very ones that claim that they are now the people of God. And they have replaced the people of God because of their rebellion. And God is going to make those enemies of God and of Israel become the captives of Israel in the land of the Lord. And their God is going to teach them a lesson. Who is the God of Israel and who is Israel? And they're going to obey God. And their hearts are going to be converted and they're going to be humbled. And they will no longer speak evil about God you know, or about his people or about his law. And verse 3. It shall come to pass in the day the Lord gives you rest from your sorrow and from your fear and from the hard bondage in which you were made to serve, speaking about the coming captivity, that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, and here you know the story about about the Lucifer that became Satan, the devil. So that's a different story. But you can see that God never rejected his people. And so from verse uh, 4 to 11, you read about the counterfeit church, the great whore, the system, and the spirit being who is behind here, behind her. And all the lies with which all the nations of the earth were being deceived that came from that spirit being. And so God is contrasting the two. Israel is people, the true church of God, with the false church. And we see it in the same chapter. So when we read it, we should pay attention to that, what God is speaking about. We're going to stop now and continue next time. Again, this is Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. The preceding message was taken from the worldwide website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions, the Bible has answers.